excited to worship you uh, with you this morning. 
Uh, my name is Ryan Burden. I am a worship pastor here at Fellowship, and I primarily serve in the college ministry on Sunday nights. And I'm, I'm really excited about this morning um, because I got a lot of my college team joining me and leading you all. So if you're here present with us in the room or if you're online, we're, we're just really excited that we get to worship alongside each other. And today we get the privilege of closing out our year-long study through Clarity 2020. Can we just give a round of applause for the people that put together Clarity? Man, God's sovereignty in this crazy year that 2020 has been, in God's sovereignty, he gave us this study, uh, this book that we can take home, that we have devotionals every single day, even when we went months where we couldn't gather um, as a congregation and meet in person, we had this. And so, man, that's, that's such a cool thing that God, God's in control, that he's taking care of us. And, and we see that so clearly um, every day, but we definitely see that in his provision uh, through the series of clarity. And so uh, I wanna lead us into this next song. It's called Jesus is Alive. And I think um, it's, it's perfect for this morning as we, as we close clarity together. The bridge says, hallelujah, death is undone. Hallelujah, Jesus has won. Hallelujah, we overcome in Jesus. And that is worth celebrating. So let's stand together and let's worship this morning. Jesus has won, hallelujah, we overcome. 
Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. Grateful for this process and would ask you um, to participate in it. We do have paper copies of those elder qualifications you can pick up on the way out today. Um, and we would love for you to join us um, over the next month and a half in praying for this process. Well, my name's Clark, and I have the privilege of getting to serve on this incredible pastor team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And we're, uh, it's just a joy to have you worshiping with us here in the room. And if you're watching online right now, Thank you for joining us as well. You're part of our church family as well. And so uh, we're going to have a great time this morning uh, celebrating Jesus and keeping our eyes focused on him. And I wanted to just make us a few, aware of a few things. This time of the year, we celebrate God's uh, generosity in the work of his son uh, to make us right with him. But we also celebrate his generosity as he works through us, the people to be a light around the world. 
and our community. And so we do that uh, by celebrating initiatives both near and far. And so one of those things many of you are participating in right now, Operation Christmas Child. And so uh, you just need to know this. Next week, November 22nd, the last day to bring your boxes back. I know it's probably snuck up on some of you. And so if you haven't gotten one, we've got those available as you walk out in the foyer. Um, You can grab one of those and bring it back next week. And so uh, God uses that every year to, uh, to see thousands, tens of thousands, millions of children um, hear the good news of Jesus for the first time. And so um, play a part in that, and maybe it's something you and your family can do. We also have an opportunity here in Fayetteville to do and be a part of something really cool, and it's called New Beginnings. And so uh, we asked Aaron Marshall to give us an update on what New Beginnings is and kind of what's going on right now. So watch this for a minute. My name is Aaron Marshall, and uh, I'm a community shepherd here at Fellowship Fayetteville. I also serve on the board of Serve NWA, uh, which is the organization that's launched the New Beginnings Project. So I began uh, volunteering with the Point in Time Census back in 2007, uh, which was an effort to count all of the homeless individuals in a 24-hour period. In 2017, there were 140 people in one site, all camping in third world conditions in the woods. And so I I just got to the point where I said, why is this situation happening when there are great organizations like Seven Hills and Salvation Army and Life Source? Is there a gap that is not being addressed and what could we do to close that gap? But I've learned when people are in the woods for a long period of time, the chronic unsheltered homeless, they're in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you get tunnel vision and really all you can think about is where you're gonna sleep that night where your belongings are gonna be, are they gonna be safe, will they be stolen? Is it gonna be wet, cold, hot? And so we identified the gap uh, in service between those who are living in survival mode and all these organizations that have services and, and resources and the person in the woods because they're in survival mode can't get there. And so this New Beginnings Transitional Micro Shelter Village will be a bridge. We will have 20 10 by 12 shelters where people can come in and they'll meet our entrance requirements and they can just have a place to lay their head. It's secure, it's safe, it's dry. And over a period of time, that survival mode will recede and the fog will begin to lift and then a case manager can come alongside them and really intensely begin to uh, unpack their issues, whether it's mental health or addiction issues or uh, job skills, documents that they've lost over time, we can really one at a time begin to address those. And so we're trying to supply the bridge from being unsheltered, homeless in the woods to accessing all of the other service providers that are in our region and resources that exist. And so we've funded uh, a considerable amount towards the construction and um, we just received our construction permit this past week. Once we have people in the village, in these 20 shelters, we want to get to know them. And ultimately, we want to share our faith and the grace that we find in Jesus with them and provide a real solution uh, that will change their life forever. So that's, that's really uh, something I think could be powerful. How cool is that? Yeah, it's worth clapping for. You've got tangible 
solutions with a spiritual need in mind as well. And so if that's something you and your family would like to be a part of, you can go to Serve NWA um, online, and um, there's a place you can donate to that initiative, or you can check out more about that on New Beginnings as well. And uh, I want to pray for them as they continue in this, uh, this process. I want to pray for our Operation Christmas Child process, and I want to pray for you this morning. So join me as we pray for our morning. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and the joy that he brings to our heart. God, thank you for making us right with you through the work of him on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, as he continues to intercede for us even when we don't have words. God, thank you. God, for each person in here this morning, um, God, I pray that you would uh, grant them just a insight and grace into your word this morning. Help them to know how to take what is taught this morning and apply it to their specific circumstance and situation. God, would you prepare the hearts of every child that will receive an Operation Christmas Child Box? God, would the, you make the gospel clear to them? Would you change their hearts forever? And Lord, I pray that you would remove any roadblocks to the uh, construction um, and the completion of this micro-shelter project. God, I pray that your uh, grace would be upon new beginnings as they continue in this initiative. God, I pray that you would be their provider each step of the way. God, may we play our part as you lead us. And we ask you all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
God's word. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. Y'all can have a seat. Thanks, Mary Beth. Remember letters? I'm talking about handwritten, get it in an envelope in the mail, letters. I know they still exist, but they're kind of like the ivory-billed woodpecker. You hear about them more than you actually see them in the wild. Some of y'all remember when we used to get letters. I remember when I was a student over at the University of Arkansas. Every day I would go to my little mailbox in the basement of Yoakum Hall to see if I had a letter, and often I would. Sometimes I'd get a letter from my sister, my grandma, occasionally a high school friend, but usually if I got a letter when I was in college, it would be from my mom. And I would open that thing up right away and read it, and there in her beautiful handwriting in ink, she would just fill me in on everything going on back home. She'd tell me about how my sister was doing. She was still in high school. She'd catch me up on how things were going with the second grade play her class was putting on. She would let me in on what was happening at my home church I grew up in. But then after all of the, the goings on, the letter would always end with a series of instructions. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Don't get behind in your math class. Don't forget to send your grandma a note on her birthday next week. Wash your sheets. <laughs> Y'all know if you have boys, you have to tell them that or they just won't do it. And then at the end... After she had signed off, there'd be usually two lines in pencil in my dad's handwriting. And it would say, hope the hogs win, check your oil, love dad. <laughs> a letter from my parents just wouldn't have been complete without a series of imperatives or commands. And the reason I'm bringing that up is you just heard it as Mary Beth read it. That's how Paul is going to close this letter to the Thessalonians, this personal letter Remember, he's writing this letter to a church. I call it the church that meets at Jason's house. It's this church that's probably not much bigger than one of our community groups. 
And so Paul has all these instructions that he wants to get in right there at the end. Now, in the Bible I'm reading out of, there's a heading to this section. It says, final instructions and benediction. But I really like Dr. Stott's title for this in his commentary. He calls this last section, Christian Community, How to Be a Gospel Church. I love that. And so I'm going to play off what Dr. Stott called it. And this morning, we're going to call this final section of 1 Thessalonians simply gospel in community. So go ahead and turn with me, if you would, or pull it up on your digital device. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 12 and go to the end of the book today. Well, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship. It's my joy and privilege to get to partner with the team that we have. And I'm really excited about this passage because I'm passionate about community. And I think it's fitting, as Ryan said earlier, that we're ending the Clarity series on this topic. Can y'all believe that? It's been a year. It's been a year since we were picking up those little black Clarity books. And so here's what we're gonna see in our final Clarity teaching. The gospel transforms our relationships. It's been the theme of 1 Thessalonians, hasn't it? Gospel transformation. Think back over the last few weeks and what we've seen. The gospel transforms how we view these big areas of life. The gospel transforms our view of sex. The gospel transforms our view of work. The gospel transforms how we view dying and grieving. And the gospel transforms our view of the future. This gospel message that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life we could never live, went to the cross and died in our place, paying the price for our sins, and then rose from the dead, securing eternal life for all who believe in him. It transforms everything. And all this transformation is gonna be rooted in transformed relationships. What we're gonna see in the passage this morning is that the gospel transforms our relationship with our church leadership. It transforms our relationships with each other, both within the family of faith and with those outside the church. And then finally, we're gonna see a transformed relationship with God. And so let's just jump in to this passage that has 20 imperatives, 20 commands. And let's begin in verse 12. Paul writes, we ask you, brothers, it could be brothers and sisters, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul begins this section with this Greek word that means siblings, brothers and sisters, and he's going to use it five times in these final verses. The point he's making is we're a family. We're brothers and sisters. God has adopted us into this family of faith. It's a family formed by the gospel and continually shaped by the gospel. And he begins with addressing our relationship with our church leadership. And here's what strikes me about what Paul says. Look who he says we're to respect. Those who labor. He says we're to respect those who are actually out there doing the work of the ministry. We owe respect to those in our body who are doing kingdom work. What he doesn't say is 
respect a certain position or respect a certain title. But he does say that we should esteem those who are over you and who admonish you. Now, that's a little tough for us here because we have a very flat org chart at Fellowship. We don't spend a lot of time talking about who's over whom or who has spiritual authority over somebody else. But one thing that's clear in Scripture is the elders are our overseers. The elders have been placed by God in a position of authority. And so Fellowship Fayetteville, that's why we're calling on you to join us as we pray about who the Lord would add to that elder board. We want to esteem them. It literally means recognize their authority. Why? Again, because they're doing the work. The elders are doing the hard work of leading this body. And so we're to respect them and we're to follow their leadership. And Paul tells us what we'll get. Peace. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Think how many churches you know or maybe that you've been a part of that don't experience that peace. Churches where people are vying for power, working the angle, trying to advance a personal agenda. Paul says, respect those in leadership and you can have peace in your body. And then next he's going to turn to how we as brothers and sisters treat each other. Now, we have a term around here. Maybe you've heard it before. Sometimes we say certain people are extra grace required. That's, why, that's our way of saying we need a little extra grace from the Lord to deal with certain personalities. The problem's not with them, it's with us. We need a little bit more grace. Can I say this as your pastor? Some people are easier to love than others. Some people are easy for me because we see eye to eye on a lot of things and we agree on a lot of things and every time we get together, we have a great time. But then there's other people. I gotta pray a little more before I sit down with them because I know they can push my buttons. Those extra grace required people are the ones Paul's going to point us to here. Look at verse 14. He says, we urge you, it's that same word, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He begins with this, admonish the idle. In the Greek, this idleness kind of has this sense of someone who's idle, and that idleness leads them to kind of stir up trouble. They're not doing anything productive, and so they start to do things that are detrimental. Paul says, admonish them, get them on the program, put them to work. And then he mentions the faint-hearted. Your translation might say, disheartened. Haven't we all felt that at some point in the last six months? Haven't we all felt just disheartened, discouraged, circumstances beyond our control? So you put yourself in that other person's mindset because you've been there before. And just encourage them. Paul says, encourage people who are feeling discouraged, disheartened. And then he says, help the weak. Now, none of us likes to think of themselves as weak, but I always like to remind people, half of the gift of service is being served. If no one allows themselves to be served, no one can exercise a gift of service. And so sometimes we are the stronger one. And when that's the case and we recognize someone struggling, help them, help the weak. But also be ready to admit 
when you are the weak. I need to be ready to recognize when I need to let someone else help me. And then he says, be patient with them all. Those of you who know me well know, patience is not really my strong suit. I'm kind of a God, give me patience and give it to me now kind of person. But you know what? Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Garland pointed us last week to those nine character qualities that the Holy Spirit will produce in us, and number four is patience. And so with those extra grace-required people, those people you love but don't really like, those people who drain you, be patient with them. How patient has God been with you? so that you can be patient with somebody else. And by the way, I think you probably know this, but you're that person for someone else. And so am I. All of us are hard for somebody. And so we're patient with everyone. And then notice what he says in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now you've heard this your whole life. Two wrongs don't make a right. And Paul is pulling this straight from Jesus' most foundational teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Paul's taking what Jesus said about loving those who persecute you, and he's applying it to our relationships within the church. Don't repay evil with evil. But look at the last phrase. To one another and to everyone. It's not just our brothers and sisters in the church we do good to. No, we're called to do good to everyone. And this should be a huge heart check for all of us because all of us have a natural tendency to divide the world into us and them. And if we're not careful, the them can become evil, opposed to us in our mind. And this passage should remind us that God's care and concern doesn't just extend to those in the family of faith. No, it extends to everyone. And so we should do good to those who disagree with us. We should even do good to those who are opposed to us. Nothing good ever comes from repaying evil with evil. And so we do good to everyone. And so the gospel transforms our relationships with our leadership, our relationships within the church, our relationships outside the church, and it transforms our relationship with God. Look at the imperatives, the commands that begin in verse 16. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. These are all things that we do in our relationship with the Lord. First, we rejoice always. Hey, if you're wanting to start memorizing some verses, start with 1 Thess 5.16. It's only two words. You got it. Now, does this verse, rejoice always, mean put on a happy face, pretend like everything's fine even when it's not? No, it doesn't because this is speaking to something deeper. It doesn't say be happy always. It's not about happiness. It says rejoice Always. I think what he means is see that God is at work no matter what happens and that your future salvation 
is assured. Think about our last two weeks in this study, what we've talked about. We know the end of the story. And so we can always rejoice that we know the Lord and that his promises are true. And if we can do that, then we really can pray without ceasing. Now, the idea is not that we continually pray, we never do anything else. No, the idea is more of persevering in prayer, that we don't let anything stop us from praying. And if we do that, then we'll be able to give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what comes our way. And so when you don't feel like rejoicing, you don't feel like praying, you don't feel like giving thanks, you know what you should do? You should pray and rejoice and give thanks. Why? Because it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And my thinking on this is that what Paul is telling us is the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than our circumstances. No matter what I'm thinking or feeling or experiencing or believing, Jesus is still king. His promises are still true. And if we can remind each other of that, I started to say even when things are hard, but I want to say especially when things are hard, then we can be in God's will as we rejoice in our salvation, as we persist in prayers even in a hard place, and as we give thanks to him, not for our circumstances, but in our circumstances because of what we have in Jesus Christ. And just like my mom's letter, there's a couple of more instructions. And these are prohibitions. He says, don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecy. Now, this might sound a little strange to us, but here's how I think we would put it in language we're comfortable with. Let the Holy Spirit work. There's a reason that when somebody's really excited about following Jesus, they're really passionate about their faith, we say they're on fire for God. See, we can let the Holy Spirit's fire burn in us or we can tamp it down and quench it through our thoughts, our habits, our behaviors. And so what he's saying is, don't put out the fire of the Spirit by dismissing his word, despising prophecies. When we read God's word, when we hear God's word taught, when we talk about spiritual things with our Christian brothers and sisters, don't just disregard that. Don't push that aside. Now, if it hits you funny, if it doesn't quite sound right, test it. Just as an expert can test a diamond to see if it's real, we can all test everything we hear about God's word to see if it's genuine. And the test is simple. We say it around here all the time. It's God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. If a Bible teacher tells you something that is clearly contradictory to what you see in God's word, the Bible, they just failed the test. The Bible is our ultimate standard. This is what we go by. And then God's spirit uses God's word to work in your heart to press something in on your heart and your mind that you read in your Bible or you hear taught from God's word. And then he uses our brothers and sisters as we process it, as we apply it to life. That's why we need those people in our lives. 
We need those mature, godly men and women who can speak truth into us and help us do what Paul says. Hold on to what's good and abstain from what's evil. That's exactly what he says in the text. And then there's a great summary statement in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. It's a prayer. Paul is asking God to make them holy, every part of them, spirit, soul, and body, when Jesus returns. It's the theme of the letter, isn't it? Let the gospel transform every part of you right up to the end. The end of your life on earth or the end of the age when Jesus returns. It's an incredible ending to an incredible letter. All these commands to live in light of what Jesus has done for us. But I feel like we're missing something. I feel like there's something tucked in here that's just not super obvious to us at first glance. Now, we're reading this this morning, and I've been studying it in the English Standard Version. You might have a different translation open in front of you. Some of you like the New International Version or the New American Standard Bible. Some read the New Living Translation. Whichever one of these good versions you read, the version's not the problem. The problem's not that it's standard or that it's a version. The problem's with the English. Now, lucky for y'all, English is not my first language. Oh, I can read it. I can speak it okay sometimes. But my heart language, my mother tongue, is Arkansas. And Arkansas does things that the Queen's English simply can't. For instance, the Queen's English, for some reason, has no contraction for am not. Right? Cannot becomes can't, will not becomes won't. Obviously, am not becomes ain't. Thank you, fellow Arkansans. It is a perfectly acceptable word. Those of us who've grown up here, we have words that standard English doesn't. And just this week, I was reminded of this. I was having lunch with my good friend Aaron. Aaron's from Chicago. So he speaks a foreign language. <laughs> but in his time living here, he's begun to adopt my heart language. And my heart just warmed this week as Aaron spoke Arkansas because he referred to his lunch as vittles with fixins. That's Arkansas. Y'all with me? English is good. Arkansas is better. Now, I reckon y'all are wondering where I'm going with this, and I'm fixing to tell you. <laughs> what we need is the Arkansas standard version. <laughs> because the Greek has something that English doesn't, but Arkansas does. And it's the plural form of you. And y'all know what I'm talking about because y'all use this word all the time. And if we apply it to the passage... It becomes rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for y'all. Not just for you, individual believer. It's God's will for all y'all. 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify y'all completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls y'all is faithful. He'll surely do it. Yes, he wants to make you as an individual more holy. Yes, he wants to make you as an individual. He wants to call you. He wants to sanctify you. But what this text says is he wants to sanctify y'all. The you is plural. And you see what that means, don't you? It means that the gospel transforms our relationships in community. Paul says in verse 27, y'all make sure you read this letter to the whole family. In America, we have this very individualized idea of faith. It's between me and God and nobody else. But that's not what this passage says. In fact, that's not what most of the New Testament says. No, the New Testament says this thing is a group project. And doesn't that take the pressure off? Because now it's not just that I have to rejoice all the time. I have to pray all the time. I have to give thanks in every circumstance. No, it's that we as a family of faith are going to do those things. And so when you don't feel like rejoicing, be part of a body that does. And when you can't bring yourself to pray, be part of a family of faith that will. And when you don't feel like being thankful, you can't bring yourself to give thanks. Be part of a family of faith that is. Because God works in those spaces. So don't quench the spirit. Give God some room to work by being part of your family of faith in community, in worship. Give God access to your heart and mind by being part of what he's doing in his church. Because the bottom line is this. You don't have to do it. He will do it. He who calls you, he who calls y'all is faithful. He will surely do it. Because you know God's promises are true, because the gospel message is transforming you, you can trust God to, be, to finish what he's begun in your life and in this body of believers, this family of faith we call fellowship. And so our God will complete it. He's faithful. You can count on it. And so our job is just to be obedient to the things we see in the passage and to trust God to do this sanctifying work, not just for me, not just for you, but for us, the family we've all been adopted to. And here's what I want you to see. It's all grace. Paul opened 1 Thessalonians with grace and peace, and now he ends it in verse 28 with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. And in his commentary, Dr. Stott says grace is the heart of God. He never gives up on us, and so we don't give up on each other. He gives us good things we don't deserve, and so we do good to everyone, even those who don't deserve it. And with this final word, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the end of our clarity experience. Two years ago, God started to put something on the hearts of our church staff. We began to ask this question, what could we do that would unify us as a body of believers? God, how could we 
as a family, study the same things, pray the same things, read the same passages. We didn't know what 2020 would hold. Nobody did. But God gave us this special initiative called Clarity. And the goal was simple. For Fellowship Bible Church, that's us. That's you and me. To see Jesus more clearly than ever. And so we began a year ago with Advent. And we saw the promises of a coming king. Advent means coming. And we saw that a promised Messiah was coming. Then we moved into epiphany, which means appearing, and we saw that that king was born, Jesus. He was laid in a manger, and we spent the season of epiphany studying his life, his works, sitting at the feet of the master teacher. And then we came to the season of Lent, and we slowed down, and we gave ourselves time and space to really consider what it meant that Jesus sacrificed for us. We had time to really think about what it meant for him to pay for our sins. Then we moved into the Easter season and we celebrated his resurrection. And we looked at what it meant for us that King Jesus is alive. That tomb was empty then and it's empty today. And then after Easter, we moved into Pentecost and we saw the Lord doing something new as the Holy Spirit came and indwelled believers for the first time. And God began a new work called the church. Then we took our summer months to look at what we had learned about Jesus through a theological lens. What did these teachings about Jesus tell us about God? And what did they mean for us? Then we returned to this idea of the church and we saw this transforming gospel message start to move out from Jerusalem in this new multi-ethnic, multi-racial body of Christ, this new work that God was doing that continues up through today. And of course, we spent the last few months looking at the gospel, how the gospel transforms an individual, a church, a city, and a region, just as he did in Thessalonica. And once we've put the whole picture together, what stands at the center is the cross of Christ. And in the cross of Christ, we see the clearest picture we have of grace. It's grace that's run through the whole course of clarity. It was God's grace that compelled him to send Jesus not to a broken planet, but not just to a broken planet, but to the cross where he would pay for our sins. It was grace that caused God not to give up on us. And now that same grace that saves us empowers us to live a life obedient to him through the power of the Holy Spirit and to be united in love with a common goal to exalt him and make him known to the world. Only God's grace could accomplish that. And so here's what I wanna challenge you with this morning. Take just a moment and ask yourself, where have I experienced this grace? And where do I need to experience it more? And in just a quiet moment, I wanna invite you to ask the Lord, where have I seen Jesus more clearly? Whether you've been with us through the whole clarity experience or you've dropped in for the first time today, where have you seen Jesus? And where do you need to see him more? Just reflect on that for a moment and then we're gonna pray the final prayer of the clarity material together.
to make me more like you. I thank you that your work in Christ is done. Jesus, I thank you that you loosen the stranglehold of sin and remove the sting of death. Nothing can separate me from your love. Not brokenness, affliction, trials, even death. Victory is yours. Yet, I acknowledge that your work in me is still being done. Holy Spirit, thank you for faithfully loosening the grip of sin as I submit to your leading. Help me to continue to turn toward you and away from sin. Thank you for comforting me when life is difficult and darkness is around me. Help me to seek your presence and comfort every day. Let's finish this prayer together in unison. Let's say this together. Oh God, sanctify every part of my being. Sanctify this church, this city, and all of creation. Heaven, make your home on earth. Lord, continue to make all things new. Amen. Now let's stand and let's respond in worship this morning.
Church, your praise.
Well, fellowship, before I give you the final benediction and prayer from Paul in 1 Thessalonians, I want to remind you, you can exit through these doors to the right, to your right, if you would like to go to the prayer room. There's people back there who would love to pray with you and for you. Now receive this blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We love you. We'll see you next time.